0: everyone, to the latest HR Tech Chat. I have with me today the VP of Strategic Initiatives at Cornerstone On Demand, Mike Bollinger. Mike Bollinger and I have worked together in the past, and this is a very special HR Tech Chat to me. Really looking forward to this discussion. Uh, Mike, if you want to just take a moment here to introduce yourself.
1: Ah, shucks. Brent, I appreciate that. It's special for me as well. Yeah, Mike Bollinger, Vice President of Strategic Initiatives here at Cornerstone On Demand. And uh, I work directly for our Chief Strategy Officer in a variety of different roles, some of them being related to thought leadership, as well as managing our Cornerstone People Research Lab. Brent and I go way back. So looking forward to today.
0: Awesome. Yeah, yeah. We've talked a lot offline in, in, in the past few months, uh, especially around various ideas around HCM. And, and, you know, full confession, many times I wish that we had the record recording uh, on uh, because it would have been a nice sort of really impromptu um, HR tech reality type of uh, video, I think. Um, but one of the things that and just thinking about where we can start here, because there's so much. We've you know, you and I we've really sort of looked at HCM from a from a meta standpoint, trying to find sort of a, a unif almost a unifying theory for HCM, although I I the more we we talk about this with all sorts of folks in the field. I, I don't know if there really is a unifying. We're looking theory. for the HCM singularity. Is that what we're looking for? <laughs> yes, exactly, okay. exactly. You know what, that's a perfect segue. Um, we've talked about concrete versus abstract HCM. And I know that Cornerstone has some thoughts around that. And it's resonated in the field, the field with a lot of vendors and users. And maybe maybe we could start there. What What are your thoughts on that? Uh, just you know how the you know the two meet and what 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 does it mean to you?
1: So. Um, and I know that's part of your research agenda, which I actually am, am, am looking forward to seeing come out. But if you remember the, okay, joke number two, if you remember the second joke, it was, does that mean psychedelic HR? Because the psychedelic notion is that you blend some elements of physicality and practicality with some elements of aspiration and innovation. And so what I like about this notion of concrete versus abstract HR is that both are necessary. It's I think you typify it as the left side and the right side of the brain, where there's practicality and creativity at the same time. Um, But what I like about that notion more than anything, Brandon, I sort of harken back to four or five years ago, Deloitte came out with this idea of the CHRO and the CHOO, right? And that both were necessary uh, operations and that they suggested potentially a division because the the individual experience as, as an employee actually encompasses both sides. And so what I really like about what you've tried to do is you've said, look, there are classic mechanisms, processes, moments in time that occur, but you've actually created, a, uh, at least for yourself in your framework, this element of that there's a concrete and an abstract to almost everything that occurs in the employee experience.
0: Yeah. that's a great encapsulation um you know what's interesting is just kind of going down the line of hcm everything that's uh related to hcm payroll which is possibly you know you cannot employ someone without paying them right that is possibly the most well at least not me yeah (laughs) Yeah, not me either (laughs) uh so being possibly the I would say the most fundamental, basic element of HCM, and the most concrete, you know, at least for at first blush. But if you think about it, actually it could actually be the most abstract element of HCM too, in a way, because it really it affects that employee so emotionally at such a such a deep psychological level when when the pay is wrong or when the pay just isn't isn't good pay or if it's you know if there's a mistake in the pay or if you miss that pay. Uh, because you have a bad technology in place for it, or for some re- or for some reason there was a glitch, there can be huge ramifications that have nothing to do with the um, the nuts and bolts. Well, obviously have something to do with the nuts and bolts of paying the person, but 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 it's a problem that's so much bigger than that, and it and it has all sorts of ramifications that cascade through. You know, employee might leave, uh, may not speak well of the uh, employer after they leave, and all this kind of stuff. So yeah
1: let me extend that notion just a little bit so agreed okay um and but i have a a couple of quick thoughts on that the first one is is as humans we crave clarity okay so it's not just in the past it was about getting the pay right but in some ways it's about knowing what the pay is particularly if you have variable components or hourly components that's one and the second thing is is The experience that we all have now as employees 15 years ago was just nascent when it came to things like self-service and compensation statements in technology. So that's an area where it's grown, and I think a good example of how technology helped create that clarity, relieving that level of stress that employees had around that very core thing. The other thing is, and I've always said it, that Pay is not a motivator. Not enough pay is a demotivator, but being, you know, being paid fairly, um, paying more to somebody, there are other engagement components as well. But that clarity creates that that bridge to not having that demotivation around pay. So you know, the three thoughts, yes, accuracy. Secondly, We have clarity around access that even 15 years ago we didn't have and that leads to the third which is am i being paid fairly and those are all very abstract notions to the engagement and employee feels
0: yeah and you know what there's obviously an extension of that into you know current current thought around dni right Mm -hmm. and uh equity of pay and this sort of thing that that, uh, obvious uh, connection there one of the things that you mentioned that was really interesting made me think is It's the technology that that gives the clarity around pay, which lowers that anxiety level. And this gets to something bigger around concrete versus abstract HCM. Well, let's be real clear, though.
1: The technology creates the window, but we have to actually open that window with our
0: processes. Keep going. Well, yeah, you're right. Absolutely. And... And and just to take that even further, right, the ability of the technology to make that window opening possible is a motivator to open the window, right? Agreed. And so this gets to a bigger uh, piece of this idea around uh, looking at concrete versus abstract HCM from a a wider lens. You know, go up, I don't know, to 20,000 feet. Maybe we're at 10,000 feet right now. We'll go up to 20,000 feet. So... There are aspects of HCM which are uh, let's call them traditional or conventional or they're perennial that they they go back to the original intent behind HR uh, which was to manage some of these nuts and bolts things around pay and time and attendance and all these sorts of things. Operational things um, tied specifically to the management of people, of employees, right? Well, the idea around that's the concrete abstract of HCM. you think and about you the. you must abs- do those
1: well. You
0: must yes. do those well. Okay, keep going. No, you're absolutely right, and it, it, and, the, and there is there is absolutely a, chrono- a necessary chronology of events or a, se- a sequence of events. You have to do the you have to do the concrete well before you can really start thinking about the abstract. But if you stop thinking after concrete, then you're really missing uh, the boat. So the idea here is that once you get once you get that concrete stuff right, a lot there's an attitude that has become entrenched and it's it's really, you know, it's nobody's fault. Really, it's just this idea of, you know, what business is supposed to mean and what bi- being employed is all about. And it's just what we're talking about with the abstract element of HCM is a, is an expansion of the idea of what it means to be employed and what it means to to retain people and to give people a purpose at your organization so that they will be as innovative and um, and contribute as innovative as possible and contribute as at the highest level that they that they are capable because they're inspired.
1: That's true. And uh, I think the other thing about abstract HR is this recognition on our part that we're all human and that, um, uh, yes, you have to do the concrete things like time, like make sure people are paid right and make sure that um, that the the correct components for a compliance conversation regarding locality or globally, if I'm in, you know, Belgium and I'm doing 13.2 pay cycles a year versus 12, those kinds of things all have to be covered. But once you've covered those, there's this recognition and I think opportunity for us as HR practitioners to think about the human side of what we do. It has such an impact. And You know, you think we've talked about it for a long time in terms of branding and all those kinds of things, but I forget where I read it, but there was really recently uh, something that I read that said something about the five rules that are out the window because of, of COVID, right? okay standard office hours nine to five maintaining this constant oversight not being a coach but rather a boss and and taking into account the managers themselves as part of this process and i'm you know i'm sort of reminded of of um uh this conversation i had with uh, a webinar i was doing in there we had a, a customer from uh singapore on And he maintained that if people weren't on video, then he didn't know that they weren't working, right? And so Mm -hmm. there's this this notion that as we've evolved as managers, as participants and as HR people, we also need to evolve our expectation around work. And that's very abstract. Um, I, for one, have worked from home for years. So for me, evolving into a work from home environment was fairly easy, Um, but I don't have, you know, kids that are trying to go to school. I don't have um, all the other pressures that maybe others don't have. So I've already adapted. And so this notion that there's this hybrid work environment and that people feel angst. And if you look at the the Idleman trust parameter that comes out every year, People feel angst. People feel, you know, they're they don't know. There's uncertainty and so on. That's an opportune time for us in abstract HR to invest in our leadership as a multiplier effect. In to invest in in the individual efforts around um, everything from DEI to um, understanding the employee angst and and taking steps to allow for variations in it. One last thought. And actually, the the Something we've put into practice as well is we started everything started to become these slam to slam meetings and there wasn't any downtime. So um, we started giving permission to have 25 minute meetings, not 30, and 45 minute meetings, and not an hour. And you know what? It worked. So. Yeah. You have to start thinking from an abstract HR perspective. Think from a coaching and a human perspective. And I think we're starting to see some real forward thinking in that regard, particularly with the pandemic. People were making stuff up on the fly. And so there's some real innovation going on in those areas.
0: And that's what's really interesting is seeing that innovation uh, sort of uh, start to take hold and some of the best practices emerging from that. One thing you said that was really interesting is this idea Um you know, there's this this abstract it's this abstract understanding that hey people people are going to be fatigued if they're back and they in back to back meetings all day long. You want to give them some time between meetings. And but the the solution to that doesn't have to be abstract. It can be very straightforward. So so mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of steps that HCM uh, practitioners can take to address abstract needs can be uh straightforward fairly concrete right um which is which is interesting to me one other thing that that you said and i'm hoping that maybe we can uh, expand on that there's there's actually two things um that that would be really interesting to go into right now so one is you mentioned that that manager uh based in singapore i think it was and um if just sort of expressing that, you know, if my employees aren't on Zoom on video when they're at the meeting, um, I, you know, there's sort of an assumption there on his part that they're not actually really in front of their desk really working, right? A. Hey. Um, I want, it would be interesting to explore because this actually gets into something else that we've been talking about is see the, the evolving, the evolving role of of the manager what it means to be a manager versus a leader in an organization right because to me that attitude is obviously some of it was cultural some of it is completely understandable you know you're a manager in your certain role and you, you you have your own expect uh, expectations from your superiors for you know your team to produce and maybe you have some concerns around that and placing no blame here but just in terms of Evolving or rethinking your role as a manager into being more of a, you know, what does it mean to be a leader versus a manager or all, should all managers really be leaders? This sort of thing, A. And then the others, you know, well, go ahead. And I, then, okay, I, so I have two other things way.
1: for you. And I love, I love this topic a lot um, because I've always said managers are the multiplier effect. Managers are the multiplier effect. The first thing, though, we have to recognize is this two-dimensional thing that you and I are doing right now. Um, In this video, as an example, Um, as humans, we're accustomed to looking for facial clues and gesture clues and intonation clues and so on. And because we have sort of limited ourselves in this way that we interact, um, uh, we find ourselves very, very fatigued because our brains from a brain perspective are overworking trying to identify clues. So you have to give yourself permission to take a rest in some ways or others, that's, that's the first thing. And obviously I'm speaking just to the work from home aspect of things because there's lots of other roles that are not like this but from a work from home aspect. The second thing is, is back to managers as what should managers be Um, There's this notion that came out of K-12 actually called the self-directed learner model. And the self-directed learner model starts with um, uh, various learning styles. And every one of us wants to learn differently. So there's some where the manager just needs to say, go do these things. And that's okay. Um, The manager needs to learn that that individual needs direction and next steps and so on. And it could be on a continuum of learning. It could also be just that's how they learn, okay? The second one is is where you involve them in the decision process. The third level is, and I'll send you the self-directed learner model background. The third one is where you give them topics and then you help them collaborate. And the fourth one is they go out and do it themselves. Every one of us wants to learn in a different way. And so the trick for managers is not be leaders, Be the trick is be human and work very hard to understand all four of those models, typically three, most of us don't reach the nirvana of self-directed learner, and use that as a mechanism to engage the productivity of your teams, but do it in a human way, recognizing the fatigue that can go on from this environment that we find ourselves in, I, I, I hope I took us in a direction that works for you.
0: Well, no, this is the, you absolutely did um, because I actually I was hoping that we would get into some learning uh, points around learning, like LMS content, this sort of thing, mm-hmm. because I think that to me that that's really where the the upside a lot of the um, uh, uh, how, how would we put it? The, um, in, I'm probably using, I'm probably making up a, a word. For, uh, this is a known word, but I'm making it up. Influensible. Influensible. <laughs> <Upside>. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, right. Yeah. Like, what can we, in terms of the upside of, of concrete, of, excuse me, abstract HCM, right? How much of it can we really influence uh, from an intentional vantage point, right? And to me, a lot of that is around learning and some of the uh, the uh, immediately abutting um, practices like around performance. Um, uh, I already want to stop myself from saying performance reviews, performance management, performance, uh, you know. Think about uh, it as
1: check-ins and conversations. Yeah. It, right? So it's, it's managers. So. The self-directed learning model came from gerald Groves. i just looked it up real fast while we were talking and it has four levels dependent interested involved and self-directed all right so the dependent is really looking at them and it started with teachers but i think it's situational management is what it really boils down to i'm looking at the manager as an authority or a coach that's based on that style if i'm interested I'm looking at the manager as a motivator If I'm involved, I'm looking at the manager as a facilitator. And so the real key here from an abstract HR perspective is investing in those individuals so that they can adapt situationally. I think that's where real abstract HR comes in. There's a fluidity, I think that's a word, there's a fluidity to what they have to do in their interactions with their employees that we can help with from an abstract perspective.
0: Mm. What do you think is going to happen to the role of the conventional, traditional role of, or conception of of the role of manager um, as AI starts to enter the equation?
1: So I always love to tell this story about AI, okay? Okay um and it was back when i was in school my dad was the cfo of a very very large company i won't give away the name but i come home from school and he was sitting there reading the paper and i said dad I, i gotta ask you so at school they teach you to do a swot analysis and look at the pros and the cons but they never actually teach you how to make a decision how do you make that decision and i'll never forget it brent he lowered the newspaper one eyebrow went up and he said You go with your gut and then he went back to his newspaper so as much as AI presents us with opportunities and a SWOT analysis and pros and cons and trends, it, what it's doing is it's presenting us with good places, but we still got to have judgment. So that changes our skill set. We've spent the last 20 years trying to create a skill set around generating data, feeding the machine, and what what really is going to happen is we need to start making informed decisions and using the human aspect of our judgment. So. I don't think that manager roles are going to change it's going to flatten but Mm -hmm. they're going to change more in terms of collaborative discussions around outcomes and less around did we get the right data in the system that's how i see the
0: change coming Uh, that makes a lot of sense to me i mean you know my think you've actually brought something up there that, that that's super interesting and I've thought about this in the past and just in passing, I don't remember the last time, but, but it's come up. Is this idea of, you know, okay, we have all this data. I mean, you see this pervading across more than HCM, you know, decision-making across pretty much all absolutely. the, all the conventional silos of the enterprise, right? Mark marketing, right? Um, Supply chain
1: is a great example.
0: Yes, yes, absolutely. And you need a lot of, Really good analytics and data around supply chain to be um, to be uh, to be to to be accurate and efficient. But one thing that's interesting though is around this proliferation of data, and now we, we've gotten to this point where we're kind of sifting through it better, and we're presenting more actionable insight. You know, uh, predictive, prescriptive analytics, this kind of stuff. Okay, fine. That's all great. Um, but going back to what, what your dad told you that time. Is, is this idea of going with your gut, right? And I've seen in just the general the general chatter out there, you see there see it in articles and this sort of thing, um, in the trade press where, you know, we need to move away from, you know, from that type of approach. Where we're just kind of going with our gut because you need to know the data. You know, you can't just go with your gut. You need to know the data. Correct. And I get that. But, 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 but to me, that also feels real dehumanizing, right? In terms of, you know, what's what's the point of wanting, I mean, so this gets into the meaning, the purpose, the meaning in work, right? Because we, we're all working, we're not all working just to make a living, even though we are, right? But at the end of the day, you think about how did this whole system can't come to be organically? Um, and, and I don't know the answer to that question, right? But at the same time, there is, a a level of self-gratification there's there's some satisfaction we derive from our avocation and and to what extent do we there's a i'm trying to say this without actually saying it i guess i'll just say it Uh how do we preserve the desire to work straightforward
1: Um, straightforward so don't miss don't mistake to go with your gut what my dad was saying was Based on all the information, somebody still has to make a judgment call. Okay. Okay. And that's what he meant by that. You're informed. You understand. But at some point, your experience comes into play given multiple options in choice, which is what data is providing us. Multiple patterns, multiple options. Even in prescriptive analytics, it's presenting a ranked order of outcomes. That's what I meant by that. Where does that come from? I always call it the three I's to your question, interest, influence, and impact. I am absolutely going to like my job and continue to engage in it if I have interest in the work, if I have influence over the outcomes, and I feel like I have an impact. And it's those three things that continue to keep me engaged at Cornerstone, as an example, that keep me continue to be engaged in this industry that we find ourselves in. Because I'm interested in it, I think I can have some influence, and I know from time to time I'm having
0: some impact. That's gratifying from a human perspective. Mm. Make sense? Yeah, it does make sense. Going back to you, you made me think also about judgment versus intuition, right? And what is, to to what extent is there, are those discrete notions? Um, and it's really interesting because if you look at, again, going back to what your father told you that time, that's such a great, uh, great anecdote, by the way. I know. I thought that too, <laughs> by the way. So, if I think it was part of with the raising of the eyebrow, I think that, yeah. that really did it. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, what are you asking me? Of course, you <laughs> make a decision. You make a decision. <clears throat> I think. What do you think about this? This could be. This could be off. Um, judgment to me is intuition informed by good informa- uh, by good data, right? So, so. Right. So, so, yeah, experience gives you that, that, uh, that perspective for your intuition to be the right call based on the data that's available. Yes. So we have more data available now. So our intuition, uh, if, if we pay attention to the data, our judgment will be, uh, has a greater chance of, of being the right Think of it as
1: a level of precision, right? Yeah. The data allows us to make judgments in a more precise kind of a way. So I love your idea. Intuition, and you used the word informed, which is the word I had in my head. Intuition is informed by experience and the precision of the data I'm being presented with. Still a judgment.
0: Exactly. Still and that's a the
1: human nature of work that I don't think is going to
0: go away. That is a great segue. That's a great segue. Uh, because, you know, we, we've been talking, we've been sort of dancing around AI for a little bit here. Uh, we have this, the, you know, the the big elephant in the room, artificial intelligence. And uh, you were sharing with me the other day, the World Economic Forum uh, report, I think it's by 2024 or 2025. 25. 25. Yeah. Uh, it, do you, why don't you elaborate on that a little bit something it's around automation so
1: so there's a couple of cool things that are in there and the first one is is that they did it in 2018 and then updated it in 2020 okay big broad brush stuff but still cool and in 2018 they predicted that tasks might be taken over by machines in the 2020 report they said that by 2025 um, machines would be doing more tasks than humans And right now, 76% of tasks are human-based. So the implication being robots are coming to take your job. But what they also said was that the impact of that could be the loss of 80 million jobs worldwide. That's the bad news. But the good news is, is that they think it's going to create, what is it, 97 million new jobs. It was 85 million lost, 97 million new, meaning 12 million gained and then what they did with that was they they squared the potential skills that are going to be needed and they said half of all skills are going to atrophy over the next five years and of the top 10 skills that they had number one and number two weren't even on the report in 2018 so this notion that we're we're in this constant influx um starts to feel dehumanizing until you realize that it's nothing but opportunity and it's the judgment kinds of things that you and I just talked about that the World Economic Forum calls out. Communication skills and the ability to to divine through data and come up with outcomes and the innovation and creativity that comes from that. So it, it to me, it's an absolute unique time in, in our human condition. Skynet is not yet coming. It's an opportunity for us to be
0: creative. That's right, that's right. Um, reskilling. Is 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 absolutely essential though, right? Now we need to get really, really good at reskilling right away
1: and upskilling. People need to focus on strengths as well. So, we did a report with the Cornerstone People Research Lab, and what we found out of it was that, um, and uh, was on upskilling and, and reskilling. Um, and what we found out of it was people were making an investment in it, right? That investment has been we know we need to do that as practitioners, as companies, as CEOs. And employees were starting to feel like they couldn't quite consume it, even though investments were being made for a variety of reasons. We, we turned that the confidence gap, the skills confidence gap. But the notion of that is, is we all know it's coming and we all want to adapt and adjust. And it's a growth opportunity for all of us as human beings. And the business knows it and the people know it. It's a shared mission. And to me, that's the epitome of abstract HR.
0: Yeah, yeah absolutely. And... It's abs and you know and it's going like you said it, it's going to lead to a good place by focusing on this because we've found it you know not to get too science fiction here but you know we've all seen the the dystopian. You know the sort of the uh, you know the typical dystopian film out of hollywood around artificial intelligence or robots right taking over and you, you just mentioned skynet you know it's this big sort of you know i just watched
1: Tran- transformer the first one with my grandkids they've never seen it <laughs> <laughs> yeah
0: yeah I, in, but there is sort of this specter, right, in the, this, this, in the back of everyone's mind, you know, are are, are we, are, is there going to be any work to do, right? And what's that going to mean? And uh, will we be, you know, again, this, some of this can be sort of like a, like a cheesy 70s science fiction film or whatever, but, but, you know, what happens next? But what what you're talking about around reskilling and upskilling this, oh, this whole idea that, that that's that Honestly, that's inspiring. That, that gives the human, not, not to, to, to speak in broad strokes here, right, but it gives a human race, right, sort of a um, hope, right, that, okay, we've created artificial intelligence, but it's not necessarily going to, in fact, it probably won't um, take over and destroy us, you know, we, there's a path forward, and we can do this, and we can coexist with AI and still preserve the meaning uh, and purpose in work for humans.
1: So I had the opportunity to sit at a a conference in a very small group and listen to Ray Kurzweil and obviously it was like, I'm not worthy. But this notion (laughs) of the singularity is still out there, right? Um, But no, I, I see it, look, robots are not going to come and replace your windows or fix your plumbing or any of the craftsman stuff. And so there are people who yield great love in the craftsman work that they do, okay? Um, Robots aren't going to come within the judgment decision-making and the creativity processes that you and they're going to help augment, but they're not going to replace that, in my mind. Um, What they are going to do, though, is we've spent a long time creating efficiencies and productivity out of ourselves from an economic perspective by putting data into systems. Now with the advent of things like RPA and other uh, technologies like internet of things, that data can be put into the system without humans doing that, with a greater level of accuracy, next level of productivity. But what do we do with those things? And what do we do with the craftsman's and, and, and the, the individuals that are now knowledge workers that creates that productivity leap. So I see nothing but once we come out of the other end of this pandemic, I see nothing but a huge productivity leap. And that's reflected by several research pieces.
0: Yeah, that's super interesting. And we're also seeing what I'm seeing from what you're saying. What I'm getting from this is that we're moving away from. We're, well, Obviously, we're moving away from task based labor just yes. yeah, moving away from task and task-based labor is the easiest labor to as as a business per as a business leader right it's the easiest type of later leader uh, excuse me of, of of work to look at and say yeah yeah concrete just make sure we pay them just take care of the time and attendance all this kind of stuff and 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 uh, and call it done right and so we're kind of moving away from that so so in a way this is all interconnected. As we move toward this more knowledge-based, and um, um, let's we'll just stay with with sort of the uh, the professional side, the professional, you know, the well, well the white collar jobs, right? We'll stay with that. We're moving to this knowledge-based work, and so that 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 abstract element of HCM is going to become more and more important. And, and this brings us to one question I wanted to pose to you. To make sure we get to this uh, during the time we have. Is this idea of how do we get organizations today today? Because a lot of what we're talking about is still seems like it's in the future. You know, even if it's just four years from now, it still seems even though four years isn't very long, we all know it, it still feels like future stuff, right? How do we get organizations today to start paying more attention to the abstract HCM when it's, when the concrete abs uh, excuse, me, excuse me when the concrete HCM is so much more readily observed as an accounting as a line in, a, in an accounting sheet or, or in the GL or whatever. Well, I think
1: there's some of that you know necessity is the mother of invention, right? Um, I, I did a recent uh, little talk over in in Asia Pac, well, virtually obviously, um, Australia in particular where I used the, what we experience in the U.S. is disaster because we have hurricanes here. We just had the, the, the critical uh, winter storm in Texas, and we have disaster metrics that many other parts of the world don't have because we have them recurring. We have them repeatedly. And one of those things is, is that business, companies go out of business unless they learn to thrive and survive in an in, in environment such as that. So necessity becomes the mother invention. If I'm going to survive and thrive, um, I need to be able to be more in contact with my customers. I need to be able to prioritize the things that I am going to work on to survive as a business. I need to be able to be planful in my approach to things. Those are all creativity. Those are all thought leader uh, leading judgment kinds of calls and so on. And don't just minimize it in that regard. Think about manufacturing. We have moved from manufacturing to lights out manufacturing, that's knowledge work. And a lot of people don't see it that way, right? So um, I think in some ways you're seeing this this, uh, evolve. I don't know, I don't see it as a revolution. I do see it as an evolution. And I always go back, I'll I'll close on this point on, on this thought. Um, I always go back to Alan Alan Toffler and uh, Future Shock, one of my favorite books that I read when I was a kid. And what it says is the world is going to be led by people who can unlearn and relearn. And so I think if you present yourself in that regard and you become excited about the opportunity as an HR practitioner and convey that to to the managers as a leader and convey that to the employees as an employee and take advantage of it. I think if you take that approach, necessity um, comes from that mother invention. So um, I, I don't know that you can purposely just say now be agile. I think instead what you can say is here are the benefits and here's what we see coming how would you like to have interest impact and
0: influence i love that unlearn and relearn yeah right we need to we need to unlearn our sort of our original concept of what of of the the full scope of concrete hcm maybe even right one thing that, not, not to do away with concrete versus abstract, because I think there is abstract, but if you think about it, maybe it's all concrete HCM, but we're just, we're giving some of the stuff that we didn't normally think of as concrete, we're giving this other term just to pe- get get folks to start thinking about it. Who knows?
1: Well, back to the opening of the conversation, you, you talked a little bit about payroll error rate. Well, I'm here to say, as you are, you worked at payroll companies, you know as well as I do, that over the last 15 years, we took the, the error rate out of the payroll for the most part. There's still the occasional error, but we reduced that thing dramatically. Did we do that? No, machines did that because they could process and put data in in a more reliable way. So, you know, there's that part of concrete HR. Maybe we're just seeding some of that to RPA and the machine so that we can focus on the abstract HR.
0: That's right. That's right. Well, with that, I think that's a great place to, to land today. This has been fantastic, Mike. Thank you so 45 much. 45
1: minutes of far-reaching talk.
0: Thanks, Brent. <laughs> that's right. And my favorite kind of stuff. Thanks so much for joining us, Mike. Um, and, uh, I'm sure we'll speak soon.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Cheers.